Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Welcome to Passing for Normal. My guest today, Ann Gentry of the Real Food Daily Restaurants, knows all about the relationship of your food to your life. Ann Gentry has spent the past 25 years raising the standard and awareness of plant-based cooking. As founder and owner of the Real Food Daily Restaurants in Los Angeles, California, she has innovated a vegetarian cuisine that is sophisticated, delicious, and healthy. With locations in Santa Monica, West Hollywood, and Pasadena, and now at the LAX Airport Terminal 4, her restaurants have a devoted following of health-minded foodies. Her amazing recipes appear in her two popular cookbooks, Vegan Family Meals and the Real Food Daily Cookbook. She is also the executive chef for Vegetarian Times magazine and has appeared many, many times on television and in print. Her cooking show, Naturally Delicious with Ann Gentry, airs on the Varia channel on the Dish Network. She's fun and lively and devoted to bringing healthy food and awareness into our lives. I eat in her restaurants as often as I can. Welcome, Ann. Oh, hi, Sharon. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so glad that you're here talking with us today. Well, thank you for that great introduction. I hope I deliver well. Oh, you do, always, always, and yummy too. So, Anne, this show, is all, this show is all about change, how we initiate it and how we adapt to it. Food, like air and water, is essential to our survival. And as humans, we have many choices, for better or worse, about the foods we eat. What role does food play in our lives? It plays probably the biggest piece in our life, you know, right up there with our relationships, our being loved, our loving back, uh, good sleep, you know, keeping our bodies mobile and active. The thing about food is we do it a couple of times a day. In fact, a lot of people do it many times a day. (laughs) And so, we, you know, the sooner one can become conscious about what you are eating uh, on the many levels of what that means from how the food's grown to how it's prepared to medicinally how it's serving you or possibly not serving you. Um, I, I think that's really important for people to get on board with that in their life. And I like to think that as people get conscious about it, we start to teach that earlier and earlier to kids so that they grow up already with a sense of that. It's not something they have to learn when they grow up in their 20s or 30s. Or sometimes people learn it later in their life when often illness uh, gives them a big challenge and they wake up then to, oh, yeah, this stuff called food that I'm consuming every day. What is it really doing to me? Right. So this this phrase um, or this term plant-based diet is, um, I don't know, I feel like it's a relatively new term that is used to describe a couple of different things. So what is a plant-based diet? A diet that is uh, composed of foods from the earth, from plants. I mean, really anything growing started as a plant, whether it's um, wheat, vegetables, beans, legumes, nuts, seeds. I mean, that is coming from the earth that makes it fall into the category of plant-based, which, yes, is a terminology that's become 
um, widespread in the last couple of years. You know, I've been in this crazy restaurant business for 21 years. I started, <laughs> though I am exclusively a plant-based restaurant serving only foods that uh, come from plants, I, which means I am a vegan restaurant, uh, exclusively 100% plant-based uh, menu that we're offering, which means no animal products or no animal byproducts, the cheese, mm-hmm. dinner, eggs, butter, etc. Now, when I opened 21 years ago, I called it vegetarian, we, I, Real Food Daily Organic Vegetarian Cooking. And about eight years into it, I think it was actually five years into it, when I opened my second restaurant, my first restaurant was in Santa Monica. Five years later, we opened in West Hollywood, uh, in the heart of Cal- uh, L.A., where West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, and Los Angeles come together on a street called La Cienega. And I, I jokingly said, I came out of the closet. I'm really going to yeah. tell people who we are. And uh-huh. I changed the byline from organic vegetarian cooking to organic vegan cuisine because Mm -hmm. I was part of a wave, a small wave of people and restaurateurs and chefs that were really putting this vegan cuisine on the map where it was acceptable and people were beginning to understand what it meant. And then about, it's interesting that I do these things when I open restaurants. So two and a half years ago, we opened in Pasadena, California, and I decided to adopt organic plant-based cuisine because I thought what happens to the V word is that there's a stigma to it. And even though definitely it's in our mainstream awareness now, but there's still a lot of, oh, oh, what does that really mean? And I'm not going to get what I want, and this food must not be satisfying. So I thought to reach more of the masses plant-based might be a little bit sort of a softer. Interesting, I mean, super successful, you know, with two restaurants. I mean, obviously people embraced coming to a vegan restaurant. But again, and then once we got to LAX, that seemed more broader for people to sort of wrap their heads around. Right. So the Passing for Normal audience, our listeners right now, is a sophisticated audience, and they know a lot about healthy eating. Um, And yet I find that there's so much confusion about what a healthy diet is to eat because, like you say, there's vegan, there's raw, there's macrobiotic, there's organic, there's gluten-free, there's paleo. So what's a person to do? You know, I know that you are are a vegan or plant-based restaurant, but you seem to also combine um, cooked foods, raw foods in your cuisine. So, so what guidelines do you use in creating the cuisines in your restaurant? Well, I, I grew up on a standard American diet, Southern style. I was in a family, <laughs> some amazing cooks, and I never took the bait to, you know, go into the kitchen and learn how to cook. So I didn't really learn how to cook for myself. Uh, until I was off in my young adult life and I stumbled upon vegetarianism. And I, yeah, how about that? And so Mm -hmm. I'm really a self-taught cook. I'm just a good cook. I'm I'm not trained as a chef. I had an incredible idea to open this type of restaurant in Los Angeles 21 years ago, and I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And yes, so I I opened a restaurant. So I learned. Let me first. I learned how to cook through studying macrobiotics, which is a um, Asian philosophy about life, about big life. Macrobiotics yeah. means yeah. big, large life. And doesn't everybody want to have one of those? And yes, absolutely. Most people, you know, are creating that for themselves. And so I learned about food from a medicinal point of view. And everybody's mm-hmm. different. We've all been born with our own constitution, the makeup of, you know, our heritage, our DNA, the nine months we spent inside our mother before birth, and then we spend our life creating a condition. So everybody needs something different and at different times in your life. And that's certainly what I've seen in the 35 years that I've been on this food journey is that, yeah, your life is changing. I've been pregnant. I've had kids. I've been in menopause. You know, so you, and, the, and those are big highlights, but it's even the little stuff, just the seasonal changes, Absolutely. Um, the traveling, uh-huh. you know, what you're exposed to, you know, the stress of life, of your work life. You know, you're working really hard or, hey, you're chilling out and cooling in between projects. So all those things are affecting us. They're creating our condition, but we can change our condition by what we choose to eat. And I've seen it work many times. And I opened a restaurant with those macrobiotic principles of yin and yang, the Chinese five elements, which is really macrobiotics came out of Chinese medicine. It was all blended together thousands of years ago in Asia. And, um, you know, people think of macrobiotics and they think of, well, it's this food thing and you're eating grains and beans and sea vegetables. Yes, some they people think of a lot very of attra- yes. Yeah, a lot of rice, a lot. Right? lots of yeah. brown rice. Yes. And, but it does incorporate fish. And in the early, early macrobiotic books that were written in the 40s and 50s, they've got chicken and egg in there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but for the most part, I brought that to opening Real Food Daily, setting the menu on those principles. But over the years, we evolved into widening, to use a macrobiotic term, eating very wide. I realized, well, I, I want to be a gourmet restaurant. This was where I was at in my eating, and I want to offer these kinds of foods in a more gourmet way to people so that it will be more interesting and satisfying to them. So instead of just a plain pot of brown rice, how do you take a rice dish and add vegetables and herbs and spices into it and do something really yeah, interesting do, yeah. with it? Um now we've got. I mean, the core is still there. It does that spark, that flame is still alive in today's menu. But it's 21 years later, and I've seen a lot of trends come and go, and a lot of diet modalities. You know, peak with interest and then lose interest. And really, when you look at them, they're kind of all the same. We're all trying to get to the same place. Um, I watch Which the. Is what, what's I think the place balance, we're all trying to get? You know, I mm-hmm. think what works for you, balance, um, satisfaction. Um, yeah, right, a know, sense I, of lightness of well-being. Uh-huh. Yeah, well-being, good focus. You know, food is fuel. It's not just celebratory. It is the fuel that we're getting to get through our day. So you want to choose wisely when you think about it that way. Um, and... You know, we are offering a exclusively vegan 
uh, you know, cuisine, we're focusing on whole grains, all the array of vegetables, plant proteins from soy products and beans, whole soy products, because, of course, there's a big, you know, negativity about soy, but, yes, GMO soy and soy grown unorganically are problematic, but whole soy in the form of tofu and miso and, and edamame, that's a very different story than fractionated soy that is what's used as a filler in so much processed food. Yeah, that'll get people in trouble with soy, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, and I think that's what people have to really learn. Because, look, everybody's going to tell you something out there differently. Everybody's got their take on it. Uh, you know, now the paleo diet is very intriguing and interested and popular and, you know, hundreds of cookbooks. But in my 20, 25 years, I've watched that be the zone and be the yes. Atkins diet. So everything kind of rehashes through with a different cover, so to speak, a different title, a different... Uh, you know, the whole juicing and cleansing and raw food. When I got into this whole movement back in the late 70s, early 80s, that was around then, low-key. Now yes. it's really reaching, you know, larger groups, a larger mass of people. But again, and it's got a different flair to it and a different look, but but it goes back way past the early, you know, the the 70s. You know, you see that coming out of this movement, this hygiene movement that started sure. in the 30s and 40s in this country. Um, so it's interesting. It keeps people yeah. interested. And I think at the end of the day, you really got to find what works for you. Stay committed to it. And you don't have to get on your holier than now preaching, you know, pulpit to think that everybody around you has to do that exact same thing because, again, it's back to your condition, your constitution, and what really works for you. That's right. A friend of mine, a friend of mine jokingly says that you cannot talk to people from California about their diet <laughs> because it's like don't talk about politics in certain parts of the country and don't talk about diet to people from California. Um, you know, because like you say, people can come become very uh, almost neurotic about what they eat, and especially when they're health conscious and. You know, they're trying this and they're trying that because they're trying to be very healthy. You know, uh, we were talking about um, sometimes the best thing to do to change your diet is to get certain things out of what you're eating, out of the diet. And sometimes the good thing to do is to add them into what, already, what you're already eating. So what do you think is the better strategy? Well, I think it's always good to eliminate especially things that are definitely not good for you, like processed foods that are loaded with a lot of corn syrup and cheap white sugar. Um, you know, the sugar is on the forefront now. People are paying attention to it. A very powerful movie called Set Up that really lays yes, it out. Yes. Us, you know, visual descriptions of how it is processing through our body in a very negative way. And, you know, for some people, it's, hey, just give up the, the, the soft drinks. There's your starting point. And then people are like, well, what do I replace it with? Well, what we now also see is that a tremendous amount of fruit juice is also not good for you. It's spiking yeah. your glucose. It's still too much sugar in your system. So 
So you you gotta you gotta get educated. You gotta understand eliminating something. How do I replace it? But what am I replacing it with? I mean, I thought right. having kids, I was doing so good because gee, I was giving them fruit juice that was organic and certainly had no additional you know additives of sugar yeah. or any other kind of additives into it. And I finally realized, no, this is horrible. This is packing in a lot of calories, and this mm-hmm. is sweet stuff. And no, they don't need that much of that. If at all any, you know, it, you're better off having the real fruit, whole piece of fruit, than to take, you know, X amount of apples or oranges that it takes to make a juice. That's so, right. That's um, right. And, but, but back to, you know, even when you look at veganism, people have eliminated animal products and animal byproducts from their diet. That is a noble thing to do. People are driven to that for ethical, environmental reasons that, you know, are really powerful tenets in their life. On the other hand, they may not have replaced that with proteins from plants that I already mentioned, mm-hmm. the soy, right. the beans, the legumes, nuts yeah. and uh-huh. seeds. So, you know, I see a lot of vegans out there, and they've they got a really poor diet. And, you know, they're running around eating a lot of sugar, a lot of carbohydrates. So I look at mm-hmm. that and I go, no, 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 I, I, can't, I can't get behind that. You might be better off having animal product to have more balance in your life if if you're not going to make the commitment to find those proteins, which are important. I'm not obsessed with proteins like, you know, we've gotten caught in this country to be. I don't think people are really lacking from protein around these parts of the woods because, mm-hmm. if anything, it's an overabundance uh, of yeah. too much. So if you're going to eliminate something, I do think it's important to replace it with better quality, even in eliminating sugar. I mean, I I finally got off sugar many years ago. It took about 10 years, and it was all about still eating baked goods because I had a big sweet tooth, but staying away from white sugar. And back then, my only choice was maple syrup or barley malt or rice syrup, the latter Mm -hmm. not very uh sweet. And now we've got coconut sugar and all kinds of things not all kinds of things, but different sweeteners. Stevia is becoming very popular. But again, that is all in moderation. But in the beginning, if you're trying to really curb that sweet tooth, better quality, milder sweeteners that go through your system in a much slower way are better than the hit of white sugar and usually lots of it. That's the scary thing about these processed and processed foods and cheap baked goods that we're getting out there in the world is if you really look at the second, third, fourth ingredient, it's corn syrup. Oh, sure, sure. And, you know, and then we've got to look at, you know, I mean, I'm not telling most people anything new, but, you know, we have a, a, you know, onset adult diabetes, obesity in very young children, and it really correlates back to these low-grade, horrible, cheap foods that they're eating, and most of it's about corn syrup. Yes. You know, when I opened my restaurant all those years ago, the big thing was the fat-free craze, and we now know that, okay, great. They lowered, the food industry lowered or took out the fat, but they couldn't leave it that way. You talk about taking something out and then having to replace yeah. because yes. it would have been, mm-hmm. you know, nobody would have eaten it. I mean, it would have just been tasteless cardboard, so what do they do? They loaded it up with sugar to mask the fact that they had taken the fat. That does have its Mm -hmm. purpose. And so that's part of the pickle that we're in now is, right, you know, two decades later, 
okay, we're eating all these low-fat foods, but they're loaded with sweeteners. That's right. And they've made us fat. Yes. And let's talk a minute about gluten and about wheat, which, you know, gluten-free is the current, um, there's a lot of attention going to gluten-free as well as wheat-free. And part of this is that we're not growing, growing the wheat, the food, in the same, our grains, the same way that we used to. We're talking here about GMOs, we're talking about pesticides, we're talking about mass-produced farm food. So can you talk to me a little bit about gluten and um, gluten-free? Yes. You know, just so people understand, gluten, you know, in every food there is protein, carbohydrates, and fats. When you come to flowers, and also let me remind people that actually there is something called a wheat berry, a rye berry, you know, that is just like a brown rice. And in my early days studying macrobiotics, we used to take wheat berries and rye berries and mix that, you know, in with our brown rice Uh in the cooking process, nice kind of crunchy, earthy, you know, flavor it would give the grain, again, doing something different with your brown rice. Well, I can't even find wheat berries and rye berries anymore in a natural Mm -hmm. food store because nobody's interested. And, you know, what food companies have done is taken the wheat berry and the rye berry and processed that down into a fine powder. And any time you process something down into a fine (laughs) white powder, you know, you're, you're getting this processed food. Even though I'm into desserts and I realize that they're part of our life, but can you do that in the healthiest way that you possibly could? But the gluten that is in wheat berries, wheat, is the protein of the grain. And so Mm -hmm. they are saying, research is telling us that, right, because we grow so much of it, vast amount of depleted soil that is growing wheat in it across our country in the Midwest. We're known for that here. And over decades and decades of time, that soil has become depleted, the strains of the wheat have been, you know, modified and adjusted. I mean, GMOs aren't brand new. They've been in our food system for decades, but now there's a big awareness and more of it. Well, and there's, also, and there's also there's also a larger prevalence of them. Exactly, exactly. Yes. And we are eating so much more of them. You know, yes. our grand parents, our great-grandparents, of course they ate bread. Of course, I don't think they ate pasta, but they had bread on the table. But people ate small amounts in a very moderate way, and they were far more active physically than we are. We're all stuck in our bubble of, you know, computers and sitting all day mm-hmm. long, and we're not as active. Um, and we're eating lots of processed flour products from pasta, breads, cookies, cakes, and it's in other products as fillers. So you take that, the way it's grown, what's happened to the strain, the overabundance of how we're eating too much of it all day long, and people are in trouble. I mean, only about 1% of the population truly has celiac disease, which is an irritation in the whole digestive and elimination tract, and that's very serious and can be life-threatening to people truly with celiac. Most, but that's 1%. 
So, you mm-hmm. know, I know this from running a restaurant. You know, people come in and, yeah, it's a trendy thing to do, gluten-free. And, yes, some people have a propensity to have a wheat intolerance or have a flour intolerance. Uh, but the interesting thing is in, what's it been, five years, you know, the gluten-free department in the natural food store or grocery store had some fro- bread in the frozen section that literally was like eating cardboard, no food yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. And that's become a multi-billion dollar business, taking over whole aisles in yeah, our that's stores right. That's right. with cookies and candies and pastas and you name it. But, you know, I've ex- explored it and been eating you know, these products for a couple of years now myself, but after a while, now you're into potato starch and tapioca starch and rice flours. And at the end of the day, you know, they're kind of sitting like a brick in your digestive tract too. And Mm -hmm. to mask those savory flours in a baked good or even a bread, Lots of sugar is being put into these products so that, because people don't like that aftertaste of that kind of savory flour. We like a sweet flour, which is what wheat, you know, gives a hint of just just naturally doing that. So, you know, yeah. I think, it's, wow. I, I don't want to say it's a fad, but it's trendy. People lose weight by, sure, mm-hmm. you stop eating yeah. wheat. And you stop eating lots of bread and lots of pasta and lots of baked goods and cookies. Yeah, you'll lose weight, but I'm you not so sure weight. it's a gluten-free thing. But mm-hmm. but they hide behind that. So yes, and so going back to the original question, yes, Will Food Daily, my restaurants have evolved because, of course, we offer several uh, gluten-free. You know, it used to be wheat-free, and we were yeah. using barley flour in place of wheat flour. But barley flour is one of the top grains that. Um, have too much of the gluten, and the, that strain of gluten is what's irritating people. And again, 1% actually have celiac disease, and other people have nothing except they're into it. Or maybe there's a little irritation, a little stomach ache, you know, if they eat. But you know what? I always think it's it's not just that you ate it. You ate too much of it. Yeah, you, you ate, ate too, too much, much of, of it in it. one setting. Yeah. You ate too much of it because you're eating it all day long. And, yeah, your right. body will start talking to you and going, no, no. No. Um, so listen, Anne, before, before we um, have to wrap up, I want to talk to you about your restaurant at the L.A. International Airport. You know, talk about seating change in the world. I think it's so cool that you have a vegan restaurant there in the American Airlines terminal. You know, airports are not known for their food, right? So can you tell right. me a little bit about it? I'm very excited about that. Well, what what is happening to airports all over the world and certainly all over our country is that they're making a commitment to bring in the local brands that they have in the city. So I was invited in with a group of other restaurants into LAX, and each terminal at LAX is changing their food profile. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of the kind of cheap, quick stuff around. That's probably always going to be in our world. But Real Food Daily is in Terminal 4, American Airlines, in a food court with about five other L.A. concepts. And, yes, we are the first of our kind in any airport across the planet uh, serving – Yes, serving an, you know, a vegan cuisine, our strong commitment to organic produce and ingredients. And, you know, this is a condensed menu. It is a quick service. You, you know, it's sure. for people on the it's go and on the run and ready to catch a plane, but you can eat there in the food court. 
You can take the food with you on the plane. Some people are getting off the plane and on their way home, stopping and grabbing food because, you know, I've got a lot of fans out there, people that live in L.A. that love us and know us. But the most exciting moment I had was after we'd been open about two, three weeks, and I was, you know, there in the beginning practically every day, and a woman walked up. She read our menu board, and she had her bag on one arm, and uh, she dropped her other bag that was in her hand, and she put her arms up in the air and just pulled them down in a big yes! (laughs) And then she said, wow, about time. And I went up to her, and I introduced myself, and she just said, oh, I'm in heaven. (laughs) And this is what? So many people, you know, they want to eat good, clean, light food, especially when you're traveling. You're going to nap on an airplane. You're going to be stuck in a seat for, you know, possibly many, many hours. And you want great, fabulous, good food that, hey, is vegan food, is grown organically, is going to really give you that fuel to go off and do your flight. Well, that is so fantastic, as well as all the travelers who are just walking by. Maybe they're not stopping in, but who are exposed now to even the idea of this kind of cuisine. Um, Anne, how can people find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you, to read your books? to go to your restaurant, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, go to our website, realfood.com, and pretty much everything is there, our history, our menu, how to order, ordering online. I've got two cookbooks. I have a television show on the Dish Network on a channel called Berea. Uh, Also a presence on their website, B-E-R-I-A. Uh, my second book is about to come out in the winter in paperback, and we're oh, going re- Yeah, what we had is the, it was vegan family meals, real food for everyone and in paperback. It's just going to be real food for everyone, because indeed mm-hmm. that's what that book is, and that's what I really talk about. That one may not be vegan a hundred percent, but people want to eat less animal products and some people are doing meatless mondays which is a big international campaign to get people aware about can you eat less meat can you eat less meat byproducts because it's good for your health good for the environment and um i think we're all wanting one peaceful world and that peace starts inside yourself and eating less animals or no animals definitely can bring you to a place of serenity and a peaceful state within you, which makes you go out in the world and and be more peaceful yourself. And in this world that we're living in, we could use a lot more of that. What a beautiful way to end. This time has gone so fast, and it's been so rich, our conversation, and full of such great information for people and your reflection based on all your experience with food for all these years. So, Anne, I thank you so much for talking to me today and for being available to our listeners. And I'm just going to say, if you are in Los, if you live in Los Angeles, if you're visiting Los Angeles, go to a Real Food Daily restaurant. Not only is it good for you, it's fabulously delicious. And you might even see me there because I'm there all the time. <laughs> Anne, thank you. Anne, thank you so much. Yes, oh, Sharon, thank you so much, and thank you for having me, and thank you for bringing the great, interesting people you bring on your show 
to, you know, talk about living a conscious life. Mm. It is so my pleasure. (laughs) Great. Okay. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Milo, stay. I'll be right back.